Jesus Christ. And may our ambition be to glorify him and him only. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn your Bibles back to Job again. You get there. Psalms 37, Job 37. Just an excellent, excellent song. Excellent, excellent reading here in Job. We're going to pick up at verse 13. He brings the clouds to punish men or to water his earth and show his love. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him who is perfect in knowledge. You who swalter your clothes when he lands lies hushed under the south wind. Can you join him in spreading out the skies, hard as a mirror or cast bronze? Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would any man ask to be swallowed up? Now no one can look at the sun bright as it is in the sky after the wind has swept them clean. Out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness he does not oppress Therefore, men revere him, for does he not have regard for all the wise and heart? Amen. As we stand together, because here at Akron Lions Fellowship, we desire to do this. Here at Akron Lions Fellowship, we gather to worship God, we learn his word and incorporate it into our lives. We portray the character of Christ as a servant. We influence others by showing his love and compassion. We pray for each other and our community. Amen. We pray for each other and our community. Well, next Sunday will be the last Sunday for the Waleses. And um, we're all going to be saddened, even the Waleses. So next Sunday is going to be a little different than normal Sunday. And some of you have asked this, this, and that. So next Sunday, Roger won't be back in the sound booth. He'll be up front. Barbara won't be in the kitchen or hiding out somewhere else or sitting in the back. She'll be up front. Now, we're not going to sit them up here on the platform for y'all to stare at. <laughs> but we will sit them in the front seat. And this is what we're going to ask you to do. And this is what's going to be a little different. We want to limit you to about three 
minute response of your appreciation of the Wells's. It'd be your, sort of like your last goodbye to them, okay? They have meant much to many of us. They have touched many of our lives. So we do want to show them that we appreciate them and we're going to send them away with our love and our prayers and our commitment to continue to pray for them. Because again now, it's not just Roger and Barb. There's a Lord over their lives. And we believe God has done this. And uh, as Barbara says, she is going 1st of July. Well, she, maybe not the 1st, but she's still in July. <laughs> and we're just going to allow them to know that we love them. So we're going to open the church that you can just come up and just share what you want to share about what they meant to you. And uh, don't feel that you have to either. You don't have to say anything. But those of you who know them and want to say something, be ready next week to share. And um, then we will have about a 15, 20-minute message, and we'll be done. Amen? And afterwards, um, maybe some cake and punch, just to fellowship with them a little bit on the other side. But it's been a long, long journey, and we're going to miss them. Amen? Amen. But isn't it strange? how God picks us up in one place and put us where? In another place. See? So he uh, may not think he's going to be another usher or trustee, and God may plant him out there and say, you're going to be a trustee, or you're going to be an usher, or you're going to be this. See? And Barbara may think she's not going to bake no more cakes, and somebody may find out about it, and uh, they may say, Sister Wells, would you bake cakes for the church or something? So God's going to still use them. Ministry for them has not stopped. No. And ministry for any of us doesn't stop until the Lord calls us where? Calls us home. Amen? So uh, next week, just that time, we're going to say thank you to them. Well, we're going to pick up. We did be light of the world. And we were able to talk about that area, about being light. Today, we're going to talk about... Be confident. Be confident. Be confident. How many of you are confident in the Lord? That if the Lord says it, he'll bring it to pass. If the Lord says it, he'll do it. I think what happens to many of us as Christians, we kind of like fall off the wagon because we lose our confidence in the Lord and what the Lord is able to do. We don't look for great things from the Lord. We somehow build our own greatness. And we look at ourselves and we measure what we can do by our own intellect, our own power, our own wealth, our own ability. Rather than really understanding, it is the one in us who empowers us. And I think we also forget that it is the Lord that says that he will cause you to prosper. That the Lord will cause you to gather wealth. It is the Lord. It's not so much us. I think we forget that it is the Lord who gives us intelligence. Understand, you can have knowledge and don't know what to do with it. 
But I still believe that it is the wisdom of God that gives us the ability to impart knowledge and to understand it. So we have a lot of smart people walking around that are just foolish. Stupid, if I might use that word. But because they have not the wisdom of God, they do not understand the knowledge that they possess or do they know how to use it. So it takes that wisdom from God to impart knowledge that we gather. But we also wind up in that whole sense, we can come, become prideful in our knowledge and lose confidence in the Lord and place confidence in who? In ourselves. And that can be a failure. Always going to be a failure. Where we put confidence in our own ability to do what only the Holy Spirit can do in and through us. It is something that when we pray, do we really believe God's going to answer? Do we have the confidence that God is going to answer? And sometimes with prayer, we just have to keep on what? Keep on praying. Sometimes the Lord says, just keep on knocking. And there's a reason behind that. The Lord hasn't said no, he just said wait. It's not the right time yet. God will always answer the prayers. God will always fulfill his promises. God will always do what he has promised, and that especially concerning his children, because we are the ones who have inherited all of the gifts of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are rich and don't know it. We are rich and we don't know it. And what we need to learn to be is very, 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 very confident in the Lord. If I want a husband, be confident God will give me a husband. But he'll give me a godly man. If I want a wife, be confident the Lord will give you one. If you want a job, be confident God will open that door. Whatever you have need of, be confident that the Lord will provide it. Now understand this. It's also based on his riches in Christ Jesus in your life. Where are you in the Lord? How are you serving the Lord? What's your commitment? What is your loyalty to the Lord? Now, I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about him. What is your loyalty to him? What is your commitment to him? Now, that's demonstrated and shown by how faithful you are in the duties of church life and in your Christian walk. But it's all because of him. That you're having confidence in him. How many of you understand that if God be for you, nobody can be against you? If God is on your side, who can stop you? If God tells you to do it, who can stand in your way? Not saying there won't be some potholes, some bumps along the way. But the reality is this. Who can really fight against you if God be for you? I'm not saying you're not going to have some little scrimmages and you're not going to have some little battles, but we forget we are more than conquerors. We forget that we're victorious. We forget who we belong to. We are the children of the living God. And if he gave unto us Jesus Christ, what good thing would he withhold from us? 
And sometimes we got to go back and remember who we are. And we got to tell ourselves, I'm going to be confident in the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to do the Lord's will. I have confidence that if I step out in faith and believe him, no matter how crazy it might be, that he'll bring me through. Then I, I got to have confidence in that. And a lot of times we lose our confidence in the Lord. And we start running our own race. We start running our own lives. We become the head of our lives rather than just trusting him. These five things, they're all found in Hebrews. One is drifting. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Let's read 1 through 4. Have you ever seen a piece of wood or, or something just floating in the stream? It has no direction of its own, but wherever the water or the stream is taking it, that's where it winds up at. And sometimes it just winds up getting stuck. You ever seen a piece of wood or, or a bottle or something just stuck in the stream? It's not going anywhere. A lot of times in our Christian life, because we're not obedient to God and we're not really doing God's will and we really are not concerned or care about it, but we're just stuck and don't know we're stuck. And that happens to a lot of us. We get stuck not knowing we're stuck. And what we're doing is just spinning our wheels. But we're stuck. We're doing all we can do to try to advance. If you have a goal for your life, the question I would ask you is this. Are you praying about to see if it's what God has for you? That that goal lines up with him? And then you're confident that God's going to help you achieve that goal? Because he says he's an ever-present helper. Drifting is one of those things you really don't want to do. You can drift away from the Lord... And don't realize you're drifting away from him. And that happens so often in our Christian life. Something else grabs our attention and he's no longer the sinner. He's no longer the purpose of me really getting up. He's no longer the main thing. We lose that. And something else takes its place. And remember this. God will never play second fiddle to anybody or anything. He's always first. He's always first. So in Hebrews chapter 4, I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 1 it says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. Listen, I start that off. We need to pay more attention to what? To what we have heard. And a lot of people don't want to pay attention to God's word. A lot of people are bored with God's word. A lot of people don't want to hear nothing else about God. And especially a lot of our young people sometimes. And they don't understand the one who gives them life. The one who gives them breath. The one who's going to chart their course. And remember, and I believe this is very true, what he says to Israel. I think it's true for us. God lays before us blessings and cursing. Now you choose. 
you can either be blessed by him by being obedient unto him and following the path that he has laid out for you, or you can be cursed because you desire not to. He says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We don't drift away or we don't slip away. Have you ever had anything just slip out of your hands? You have it, but all of a sudden you just dropped it. You thought you had a glass and you thought you had a firm grip on that glass, but somehow it just drops from your hand. Oftentimes, that's what happens with the Lord. Because that glass just didn't drop, it starts slipping. And it happens so quickly that it winds on the floor. Same thing happens in our lives. We can slip away from the Lord so quickly and don't even understand or know how it happened. And he says, you're drifting away, you're slipping away from the Lord. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, boy, you need to understand it. Every violation and disobedience received its what? It's already built in. When we sin, it's already built in. It's going to receive its punishment. And he goes on, he says, in verse 3, how should we escape if we ignore, and that's what a lot of Christians are doing. Oh, I'm saved, but I'm ignoring the growth of my salvation. I'm ignoring the opportunities to grow and to expand and to learn and to educate myself in the things of the Lord. Just think if a baby was born but ignored its ability to eat. What would happen to the baby? It just dies. When my son, at two years old, he had cockle meningitis. We went up to uh, Children's Rainbow Center up in Chicago. And all this little girl would eat, she was about four or five years old, Elaine. All she would eat was biscuits and spinach. She wouldn't eat anything else. And that's all she ate, but it wasn't enough for her body. But her mind wouldn't let her get past eating spinach and biscuits. That's all she would eat. For some reason, we took Gus up there because they were going to look at exploratory surgery on his brain to bring the water off his brain. But that was not the purpose for us to be up there. For some reason... Gus started playing with this little girl in her room and they would visit. And somehow he got her to eat something else besides spinach and biscuits. Why? How? We don't know. Then he went to a little Spanish guy and just started playing with him and doing. Finally, what they brought Gus was a little tricycle. And gave Gus permission to go anywhere on that floor. <laughs> and he didn't know what he was doing. We didn't know either. But we were able to begin to lead people to the Lord. Bought Spanish Bibles and so on. But God took us from Akron to Chicago just for that purpose. 
And that young girl began to eat. All because of a, a little boy riding in her room on his little tricycle each day and sharing with her. He would eat, she would eat. He would eat, she would eat. But as the doctor said, it saved her life. The issue comes down that sometime in life we get stuck and we don't know it and we're slipping away and we don't know it. And he says, don't ignore so great a salvation. How many of you are ignoring your salvation? You're not growing in the Lord. You're growing in the things of the world, but you're not really growing mentally or in the heart for the Lord. Now understand something. Growth takes place up here. Then it drops down in the air. That saying is very true. You can't do what you don't know. And that's why the Lord desires to educate us. That's why he wants to teach us. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit as a teacher. For that we might learn... But as we're learning, it's going to drop down here that we begin to put it in practice because we love it. We love him. And he says, don't ignore such a great salvation. Don't ignore it. Don't take it for granted. And he goes on, he says, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now look at verse 4. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles. What is God doing? God's confirming his word in our hearts. By what? Signs and miracles. Things that he does in our lives when we truly believe him. When we trust him, he begins to act. He begins to do. And he says, here, do this, this, and this. And what he's doing, he's confirming his word that you trust his word. Now, understand something. Boy, when I was a young Christian, God had to do such things as this for me to believe him. And uh, I remember telling the Lord, I'm sitting on my steps one time. And I'm reading his word. I'm saying, now, Lord, if I believe this, you got to show me. And God just begins to allow things to happen. And I remember one time I called myself really putting him through a test. Because I'd come to a place, boy, and I had my big tornado, and I was this, and I was that. And, this, and I finally realized, if I'm going to really walk to the Lord, i got to get rid of my Friday night, Saturday night car. You know? and, and I said, Lord, you got to send somebody to buy this, but I put stipulations on it. You know, and God sent a pastor from Wadsworth to buy that car. And he just began to confirm his word. And he says, that which they heard, he sent signs and miracles to confirm that the word was true. When you believe God's word, you'll see God act. And God will confirm his own word. He'll do it. That you have confidence in him. Let every man be a liar, but God what? 
be true. And that's what God wants us to understand. Now understand, as you grow in the Lord, you don't need the signs and the miracles because you already come to a place where you're just trusting him. You don't need the signs and the wonders and the miracles anymore because you know he said it, he'll do it. We drift away, but then when we drift away, doubting begins to take place. The further away you are from the Lord, the more you're going to doubt him. You're not going to trust him. You're not going to believe him. The closer you are, let me make this clear. There's times I do doubt. There's times I doubt. And I got to go back and say to myself, there's nothing too hard for the Lord to do. What's impossible for man to do, God is what? Able to do. I got to reaffirm myself that God is able. And I got to talk to myself because this fleshly part of me is saying, uh-uh, that can't happen. That can't ha- It's impossible. And I got to go back and remember, there's nothing too hard for my God to do. No. But that's because I'm walking close to him. But as you walk a distance from him, guess what? Those verses that would remind you how powerful he is, doesn't even come to your mind. You don't even think about them. Because when you're not in his word, the Holy Spirit has nothing really to say other than repent, repent, repent. Because you are a distance from your Lord and your Savior. And what happens, we begin to doubt him. Even to the point you hear people say, well, I once was saved. No, If you were saved, you were saved. But understand, the enemy will cause you to doubt that. You can get so far away that you will convince yourself that you're not saved. And what happens then, you lead a life where Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 3 that you're only saved by what? By fire. And guess what? You have no crowns, you have no rewards, you have nothing. See, And you begin to believe just what folks sometimes say. I just want to make it in. I don't want to just make it in. If I can be on the front row, I want to be on the front row. And the whole process is that you don't want to come to a place where you doubt. Because James tells us, boy, if you doubt, you'll receive nothing from the Lord. A double-minded man, a man who doubts the Lord, is not going to receive anything. The Lord says, ask and believe that you have already what? Received it. What? That takes faith. That I'm praying about this, but I'm believing I already have it. And that it's mine. When I start doubting, it's because I'm drifting. And when I'm doubting too much, I'm a long, long way from the Lord. And I don't believe he can do anything in my life. And therefore, I'm the one who has to make things happen in my life. Dullness. The dullness is not being sharp with the Lord. 
You're not sensitive to the things of the Lord. You're not sensitive to his voice. You're not sensitive to his touch. You're not sensitive to his word. You're not hearing him. And that you're just not sensitive to what's going on around you spiritually. When you're in the word of God, you become very sharp and very sensitive to what's going on around you. But if you're outside the word of God, you don't even know demon activity when it's taking place. You can't even call sin, sin, because you can't recognize it. You can't even understand when somebody's deceiving you. Because you're dull in the things of spiritual things. You've lost the ability to recognize spiritual things around you. And he says, boy, that dullness does take place. It's there. Turn with me to Hebrews 5.11. Go, go over to 5.11. He says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are what? Slow to learn. Dull. Now, let me put another word in there. Especially you young bookums. It's boring. It's boring. The Bible can become boring to some folks. See? But see, the Holy Spirit will jump off those pages. And he will excite your heart if you're in there and you allow him to teach you. He will minister to you and he'll open your eyes and he'll cause what you don't want to put it down. And then he'll cause you just to rejoice in yourself at times because you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and teaching you and there's such a joy that you just discovered. You just ran across one of those golden nuggets, and boy, it's exciting. And you're very sensitive towards the things of the Lord, and you're not dull. You're not slow to learn. You'll pick it up. You'll pick it up. You'll pick it up in the Holy Spirit. You know, a teacher loves to teach a student who picks up and who's excited about learning. They love to teach that student. But that student that doesn't want to learn... Oh, mm, okay. Mm. Teacher's not excited about that student. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. He's excited about the students that want to learn from him. Don't matter about age, but you're excited about learning. You're excited about searching it out. You're excited about gathering the understanding of it. And if you're not, you're drifting away. And you're losing your confidence. The more of the word of God that gets in you, your confidence rises. Your confidence rises. And you even get to a point to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because you understand it. You understand it. Then that whole air of despising Boy, I despise God's word. I don't like it. And usually we don't like it or we despise it because it is speaking against us and what we want to do. It's robbing a joy from us. 
is taking something from us in sin. It's saying, don't do this. It's saying to live this way. And we come to a place, we despise it, we like it, because it's really speaking about us and our sinful ways and our sinful life. So we don't want to have nothing to do with it. We despise it. We don't like it. And then when we get to that point, the very next step is very easy. We rebel. We rebel. We defy the word of God. We rebel against it. We rebel against it. Take those things down. Look at those verses and ask yourself, am I in any of these areas? Because if you don't stop yourself from drifting, you're going to run into the area of doubting. And if you come into the area of doubting, you're definitely going to go into the area of losing your sensitivity towards the things of God. And you're going to despise the things of God. And you're going to come into the point where you're in rebellion against God and defying his word. It's just going to take place. Go to 2 Timothy 1.12. 2 Timothy 1.12. Look at what Timothy says. And he says it with confidence. And my question to you is this. Can you say it with confidence? Do you know the one in whom you believe? Do you really know that one? Who you are believing? Who you're trusting in? Timothy says in verse 12. That is why I'm suffering. Okay? Life isn't going well. That's okay. I'm not always on top of everything. That's okay. But I do know this. It's going to get better. Why? Because of this. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet. Boy, that word yet there. Yet. I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. Do you know the one that you truly believed? Do you really know him? And that you're trusting him. And you're confident that he will do. That he will work on your behalf. He will intercede on your behalf. He will uplift you. That you have confidence in God and walking as a Christian. Part of the reasons that Christians don't live out this Christian life and walk the way the scripture calls us to walk is simply that we do not have the confidence that Christ can keep us. That Christ can deliver us. That Christ can rescue us. That God, he's able to save us to the uttermost. That God is able. God is able. God is able, and that I'm in God's hands, and nobody can snatch me out of his hand. I'm in God's hands, and nobody can harm me. I'm in God's hands, and God's going to do with my life whatever he so desired to do, and I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm in God's hands. I know in whom I have believed. Do you really know him? Or you just heard about him. Big difference. Big difference. Because Tim said, boy, I know in whom I have believed. And I have confidence in him. I have confidence in the one I believe. I have confidence. 
in the one that I have entrusted my life to. I have confidence in him that he's more than able. I have confidence. Now, I want you to look at some false confidence with me. Go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Because this guy kind of like, he's kind of like us. Isn't it strange that sometimes when we get ahead in life, we no longer need the Lord? When I hit a certain level, I, don't, I no longer need him. Um, the whole process is that when things are going well, sometimes we can slack off in our confidence in the things of the Lord. And that's when we need to have more confidence. Because, see, pride can jump in. And pride cometh before a fall. And we have to guard ourselves from being haughty and looking at the things. And as God said to Israel, when you go into the land, remember, you didn't plant the vineyards. Remember, you didn't build the houses. Remember, you didn't do this. And sometimes we look at our lives and we want to say, boy, I did pretty good, didn't I? I'm doing pretty good. No, what we forget is this. God has blessed. God has planned. God has worked. God has intervened. God has opened doors. God has given favor. God has protected. And we forget what God has done. Tell me to Luke chapter 12. Go to verse 13. Start there with me. He simply says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter to, to our arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kind of what? Now, now he says all kind of greeds. It could be a greed for a girlfriend. It could be a greed for a boyfriend. It, 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 it could be a greed other than just money. Greed of possessions. Greed of just wanting to have another dress or another suit. He says, be on guard of greed. Sometimes we look and we need to say, I have enough. I have enough. You know, uh, sometime uh, Elaine and I, we get in, we don't get into an argument, but she'll tell me, where's something new? I got stuff that's been given to me for Christmas 10 years ago, still with the thing on, because I haven't wore out the other stuff that I'm wearing yet. You know, and uh, the whole process is that that's not an exciting thing for me, just put on something new, you know. For some people, that is. For some people, every week, they got to go get what? Something new, you know. And it can be a greed, a possessing of things. And he says, don't get caught up with this thing of greed and so forth. But he goes on and he says, let me get there. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And oftentimes we look at life and say, if I have this, this, and that, 
and we, we're doing well if we possess this and this and that. He says, no, that's not the measure of man's life. Let's go a little further. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, catch that. He thought to who? Himself. People, be careful how you talk to yourself. Understand. Who's leading the conversation? Is it the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm getting caught in some somewhere. I'm, I'm going to have to bring a sermon on this too, but I'm just really getting caught up with it a little bit. Demons who teach. And Timothy. Demons who teach. And demons teach us a way of life that is different than what the Holy Spirit would teach. So where's that thought coming from when I'm talking to myself? Where did that thought proceed from? Where did it start from? What was the seed of it? And he says, and the man said to himself, let me get back. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, boy, he's really talking to himself, isn't he? Hey. He didn't say, well, I'm going to take it to the food bank. He didn't say, well, I'm going to take it to the haven of rest. He got stuck where at? Yeah, on himself. He says, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be what? Let's party back. Let's, let's make merry. Let's go out and let's have a shindig. Let's just go enjoy ourselves. Let's forget about God because my bonds are what? They're full. He forgot it was the ground that had what? Given him the harvest. But who is the one that really made the harvest come forth? He goes a little further. In verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? That's like, boy, you go out and you... Love buying yourself a new suit every month or so, and you're doing it, you're doing it, and the Lord said, I require your life tonight. How many of you take time to ask this question? Who'll be wearing that suit next week? Who'll be wearing that suit next month? If you go out to what is what we call Fifth Stack, the village store or whatever, you find a lot of used clothes that are good clothes and sometimes still with the tags on them. 
that somebody didn't have time to wear. He says, tonight, I require your life. And the Lord says, you fool. This is how. You fool, the very night you will be demanded from you. Your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich. Catch this last point. That is not rich towards God. Catch the point? You can be rich in everything else, but if you're not rich towards God in your heart, doesn't cry out for God. And you don't desire God, but you have everything else. Understand, you can lose it all and wind up with nothing. Second, go to Titus with me. Catch what Titus is going to say here. The area of life we're slipping away in and, and, and the problems that we have in this area. Titus 1, verses 15 and 16. Catch what he's going to say about the pure, then catch what he's saying about the other. And understand something. As Christians, sometimes we can be impure. But understand, the punishment is already built in. Where's your confidence? Is it really in the Lord? The reason we do things sometimes and fall into sin, because we don't really have confidence in the Lord that he's able to make us what? Happy and joyful. At some place, we come to a point Jesus Christ isn't enough. When Jesus Christ isn't enough, he'll do you like he did the Israelites. He will feed you manna until it come out of your house and you don't want no more. You don't want no more. Don't worry. God has a way of getting your attention because what you think you love, it will become bitter in your mouth. What you think you got a taste for, God will cause you to lose that taste. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupt and do not, what? Underline that, do not believe. When you don't believe God, you lose confidence. When you lose confidence, you're not going to have confidence to do the right thing. Understand something. It takes confidence to do what is right. It takes confidence to do what is right, that somehow God's going to work it out. Because just because it's right doesn't mean that it always looks like it's going to work out in whose favor. It don't always look like it's going to be good for me if I do it this way, but it's the right thing to do. It looks like, boy, if I do what is right, I'm going to lose. If you do what is right, you're going to gain. Jim... Elliot, I can't get the whole quote, but he says something like this here. Someone who tries to hold on to what they cannot keep is foolishness. But to let go of that in order to gain that which is yours, that you can keep, is wisdom. And somewhere we need to recognize that. There are some things we can't hold on to in life. 
And they're not meant for us to hold on to. And they're not good for us to even hold on to. And we need to be willing to let them go. And he says, again, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. See, one of the things about people who don't believe in marriage, this is not impure, this is not wrong, this is not that. Homosexuality who don't believe in pure, this is not wrong, this is okay. They have to change it. And he he makes it very clear. Nothing is pure. Let's go a little bit further. In fact, both their minds and their conscience are what? Corrupt. Come to verse 16. They claim to what? Know God. They claim to know God. You cannot claim to know God and do what is wrong constantly. You cannot claim to know God and just live in sin. You cannot claim to know God and go totally against his word. You cannot claim to know God and constantly be in rebellion against him. You cannot claim to know God and defy him. You can't do it. You can't say that you know in whom you believe and you're constantly, constantly, Walking further and further and further away from him. Can't do it. You can't do it. And Titus calls this sometimes lip service, uh, lip professions. Because it says they think they know God. They profess they know God. And look what he says. They claim to know God, but by their actions they what? Yeah. You can't say, oh, I'm saved, I know the Lord, I did this, and, and then totally go against his word constantly. You can't do it. You can't do it. You've deceived yourself. Because the reality is, most likely, you're not saved. The reality is that you don't believe God. You don't trust God. You're denying God. Now understand something. The Christian can live just like the non-believer. And again, they're the ones just saved by fire. But there's no evidence in their life that they really love the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no evidence in their life that they're really trusting the Lord. There's no evidence in their life that God is leading their life. They're just doing what they want to do. And he simply says, they claim to know God, but their actions... They deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing... Now, now catch this part. The further you drift from God, away from God, you can't do anything right. Doing anything good, the scripture says. The further you get from God, you can't do what is right. You can't do what is good. And everything you put your hands to, you mess it up. And you wonder why life is such a mess. Why life is so bad and nothing works out. And everything you try to do, you have no victory in. Or are you able to accomplish it? Because God's not involved in it. 
God's not involved in it. You may do a lip profession. You may give him lip service. But the very part of your life deny that he is part of your life. Go to Matthew 7, 21 to 27. Matthew chapter 7. Next week we're going to pick this up and we're going to look at two lives. We're going to look at this thing of having confidence. We're going to look at Abraham and we're going to look at Lot. We're going to look at what Lot was trying to do and what the angels had to do with Lot. But then what Abraham did just simply because he believed God. But the confidence he had in God. And if you look at the two families... Do this doing this week for yourself. Abraham's children were a blessing, and the scripture says Abraham became a friend of God. But everybody from Abraham himself was on God's side. Then look at the tribes that came from Lot, Moab, and some of the other ones who fought against God. And yet, Lot was saved. But Lot chose to live in an ungodly world. Why Abraham chose to live outside the city and to live with God in the mountains. Even though Lot was told to go to the mountain. But we're going to look at those two next week. And, and the whole process is here again. Who am I at? Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27. He says, Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Every, not everyone. Let me get it right. Not everyone. Not everyone who gives me lip service and says, I'm saved. I've accepted Jesus. I'm born again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he, now, now catch this part, because it's important. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There has to be an action with the profession that says, I believe and I'm doing the will of God. Not just lip service but an action also that says, I really do know who I believe in and I'm trusting and I'm living for them. He goes on a little further, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Evildoers, away from me. Yeah, you may have done this, this, and that, but you need to understand, Satan can counterfeit. And he's good at it. He's a deceiver. But you need to look at your life, and that's why the Lord says, examine yourself to see if you're what? In the faith. Take a good look at yourself. Look in the mirror. Ask yourself this question. Are you living for Jesus? All you got to ask. And wait for the response. And you'll be surprised what will shout in your mind. And he goes a little further. He says, Therefore, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Not just hearing, but what? Practicing that. Doing that. Put it into practice. is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Then rain comes and the streams roll and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. They had confidence on what they had built upon. They had built upon the solid rock. They had built upon the name of Jesus. They had built upon the foundation of Jesus. And they have the confidence that their life catch me means something. And therefore we understand 1 Corinthians 15 those last verses. That my labor is not what? In vain. Though I may not see the results of it in my lifetime. My labor is not in vain. Why? I have confidence in the Lord. That the task that he assigned me to do is going to be completed. A confidence. And he says we practice and we build upon this rock. But everyone, catch the other part now, this false security, this false confidence. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. Everyone who don't do according to my word is like a foolish individual. And their life is ruined all because they won't believe. All because they won't practice. All because they won't do what the word of God says. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Now, when that house fell, where do you think the man was at? We build shelter for the time of storms that we do what? We run into them. But look what happened to them. That false security. And a lot of people are running into a false security. But they got confidence in it. And it's false. It won't last. It won't stand. It won't survive. The rains came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. If you put your confidence in anything else other than Jesus Christ, it's going to crash. It's going to crash. It's going to be destroyed. It will not last. Matthew 13 real quick. We can get ready to end here. Matthew 13. 10 and 11. I read this so much uh, uh, and yet always missing it. Always missing it. And I've read this and I've always looked at the tares and the wheat and, and the farmer and, and knowing as God is the sower. But boy, verses 10 and 11 I missed. And, and I don't know why I missed it. He says in verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, 
Why do you speak to the people in parables? Hear this, because it's so important what he's going to say. I hope it really affects your life as it affected mine. In verse 11, he says, he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, those who believe. He says, this is not given to everybody. So a lot of people who call themselves reading but don't really believe or trust God or don't have confidence in God, it don't mean anything to them. But we who have confidence in God and who truly believe in God, he says, I'll give you the secrets. I'll unlock the mysteries. I'll give you understanding that you might live by them. I'll go just a little bit further here. He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, but not to who? To those who don't believe. But not to them. Those who don't have confidence in me, those who don't trust me, those who don't believe me, it's not given to them. It's not given to them. Because what God is requiring is this. Is that you truly believe me and trust me and have confidence in me. And if you really believe me and trust me and have faith in me and have confidence in me. I'll show you some mighty things. I'll show you things that cannot be done with man but is able to be done with God. I'm going to share something with you. I don't care if you've been married seven times, eight times. Every divorce winds up with this really sticking up. We didn't do it God's way. <laughs> That's all. And what God requires is that both people do it what? His way. <laughs> One person can be in there, really in there, just doing it and being obedient to God. But Satan and the other person, it's not going to work. And somebody winds up getting hurt. But what they made a marriage between Elaine and I to last for 48 years is God. And God alone. I know that. She knows it. We both know it. We have only stayed with each other because of the mighty work in God in each one of our lives. You remove that, we would not be together. <laughs> but it's only because of God and God alone and obedience to God and the work that he has done in us that this marriage would work. And he says, it's not given to those unbelievers. It's not given. It's not given. It's not given. 
And he makes it very clear. The secrets are only for who? The believers. The knowledge is for who? The believers. Why give something to somebody who's not going to do it anyhow? Why give wisdom to somebody who's not going to follow it anyhow? Have you ever given good advice to somebody and then they do what? And finally you come to a point, I ain't wasting my breath. Let me share something. God don't waste his breath in the very beginning because he already knows your what? Your heart. But if he knows that you're willing to have confidence in him and trust him, he'll show you the secrets and he will allow you to experience his wonders and his miracles in your life. Last verse and we're done. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. Hebrews 7. Twenty-four and twenty-five. Take this to heart. If God wouldn't do this, all of us whose name His name would be failures. We would be just like the rest of the world. If God would not interact, and just what I was sharing about God interacting in, with me and Elaine, this is that verse now. 7 and verse 24. But because Jesus lives forever, because he lives, Andre's cross because he lives, I can what? I can face tomorrow because he lives. He prepares me. He gives me what need. He gives me the ability to face my problems, face my trouble, go through them, whatever they might be. He gives me the victory over him because he lives. But I got to believe that he what? He lives. See, nobody's scared of a dead God. (laughs) But because he's alive, I fear him in a reverence fear of displeasing him. That's my sensitivity in my spiritual life. It's not dull. I'm very sensitive. I'm very sensitive to hurting people in my family or people that I love or people like... When, when you say you love somebody, you're very sensitive towards their feelings and what you do towards them. And he, he says, boy, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. What does a priest do? He serves. He serves. Who is he serving? Boy, he's serving me. He's my Lord, but he's serving me in that capacity of being my Lord, being my Savior, being my protector, being my deliverer, being the one who rescues me, being the one who gives me wisdom. He's serving me. He goes on then. In that verse 25. Therefore he is able to save. He's able to deliver. He's able to do. That's my confidence. He's able. Because of Jesus Christ who lives as that priest. 
I believe him, and he's able. Let's go a little bit further. Boy, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Now, now catch this last part. Because he always lives to intercede for who? Who's always running interference for me? Football season getting ready to start. But you know something? You never have a good back without a good line. You never have a good back. You have nobody to score unless he got some blockers for him. The only reason I score in my life, the only time I have victory in my life is because God has interceded. Only reason I have this or I have that is because God has interceded. The only reason this door has opened and I find favor with this person is because God has interceded. He lives. When you catch this in your mind, he lives to intercede for those that love him. He lives for that purpose, to step into your life and do something amazing. He lives for that purpose. He lives for that purpose. To do good to you. He lives for that purpose. To move those stumbling blocks out of your way. He lives for that purpose. To raise you up off your bed of affliction. He lives for that purpose. To set you on high. He lives for that purpose. To intercede for you because he loves you. He loves you. So my confidence is high. I can do anything. As a church, yeah, we may be small, but we can do anything. Why? Because of the one who intercedes on our behalf. My confidence in him. There's nothing too hard for him to do. When he steps in, what was impossible becomes possible because of him. He intercedes and he lives for that purpose to intercede into our lives. Wherever those troubles, wherever Satan would fire his fiery darks, he intercedes or Satan would totally destroy me. He would destroy you unless God interceded. Have confidence. Be a Christian of confidence in the one who has saved you, in the one that keeps you, the one who orders your steps, the one who directs your coming and your going. Have confidence that Jesus is more than able. I don't care what it is about your finances, about job, about family, about children. By neighbors, friends, employment, whatever it is in life, have confidence in Jesus that he's more than able. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the one who has saved us, oh God, and has saved us to the uttermost. The one who has transformed our lives. The one who is still working in us and through us for your glory. Lord, we thank you that you called us, O oh God, 
to have confidence in him and not in ourselves. For Paul said he would have no confidence in the flesh. Lord, help us to be such a people who will not have confidence in our own thinking, our own planning, our own doing, but that, Lord, we'll have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that he'll direct us in our planning, he'll direct us in our doing, that he will intercede in areas of life that we cannot overcome, but he will allow us to overcome because of his intercession in our lives. We can do all things through him who strengthens us. May we have the confidence of that. And may we be a people of your word. May we not just be a person who desire to hear your word or just hear a good sermon or a, a, a good lesson, but Lord, help us to be willing to practice it, to live it out, to do it, to perform it. Help us, oh God, not to be ashamed to live as Christians. And Lord, we thank you that our confidence is in thee and thee alone. Next week, oh God, just continue to open up your word and show us, Lord, the confidence that Abraham had in thee and the confidence that Lot had in, in himself and help us to see the difference. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says that today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. God is very near. And Jesus Christ, if we could just see him, he's coming back. And he's closer than he's ever been before. Today is the day of salvation. You may have heard that many times in your life. But today is that day. Don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. As it was in the days of the flood, that God came and closed the doors on the boat with Noah. Could not come in and could not go out. Such a day is coming that we will not be able to step in to the ark of salvation. For today is that day of salvation. If you have not accepted, would you come? Would you come? Father, we thank you and praise you, O God, for thy knoweth every heart of every person in this place. May you do your mighty work in each one of us, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to give, we give with thanksgiving, we give with praise.